Good morning, Restoration Church. So good to be here together. Today is going to be a really special uh, service for us. Uh, it's going to be hopefully life-changing for you, church-changing for Restoration Church. This is a pivotal series uh, in our history, a pivotal service in our history. So you made the right decision to come to church today. Um, if you followed Jesus for any length of time, and some of us, we've, we've served him and followed him for decades, this is quite possibly one of the most important messages that we'll ever study together, that we'll ever um, uh, participate in together. And so I want to do something, I just want to open in prayer, and uh, I, what I want you to do while I pray is I want you to pray. And I want you to pray that you will get it this morning, that everything that God has for you, everything Jesus wants to do in your life today, that you will get it. Uh, I've heard a, a few pastors over the years say this, that the, the, the furthest distance in the world or the furthest distance in the universe is the 18 inches between your head and your heart, that you can know something but never actually receive it or live it. And uh, this morning, we don't want you to just hear and get some information. What we want is for, is for Jesus to change our hearts this morning. Let me pray. Jesus, I just ask for me, for everyone here, that you will change us. That as we hear the story that you told, as we try to understand uh, through all these different weeks of everything that you've been saying, I pray that we... Uh, so many of us here who have served you and followed you for a long time, that we will get and receive everything that you're trying to, to tell us and to teach us this morning. We don't want to miss out on a thing. We don't want to miss out on any opportunity for you to make us more like you, for you to help us fall more in love with you, and for you to really just do something amazing and powerful in our life. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Now, we've been in this uh, this is our third week of our series. We've got a couple more weeks, and we've been looking at one story that Jesus told. And every week, we've been getting further into it and looking at the different things. It was a simple story that he told in a few minutes, but the, but the, the meaning behind it and the depth behind it, how much it reveals who he is, how much it reveals who God the Father is, how much it reveals how much God cares about and loves us, how much it reveals who we are and how much we need him is unbelievable, which is why we've been studying it for so many weeks. And if you, if you haven't been here a part of this series, you may have heard this story before that Jesus taught called the parable, uh, we call it the parable of the prodigal son, but it's so much more than just a story about one son. It's a story about two sons, and it's a story about, more specifically, the father. But today, we want to concentrate on, really, the story of the older son. Because as, we, as Jesus told the story, and we, it, it talks about the younger son who left, who, lived, who, who pursued wild living, who wasted an enormous amount of money, and ended up, ended up living with pigs as a pig farmer. The story that we focused on is how he came back, how the father loved him and received him, and it was amazing and it was beautiful. But the story doesn't end that way. When the story ends, there's still a son who hasn't returned. And 
I want to read this to you. So it's in Luke chapter 15. You go ahead and turn your Bible there and open it up on the app on your phone. It's Luke chapter 15, and we've gone through a bunch of different passages. We're not going to read the whole thing, but we want to read the second half of this story that Jesus told. And maybe we've missed it. Maybe we've missed how, this, uh, how we are this guy. But we want to read this because it's really important. Jesus didn't just tell the second half of the story because he was trying to take up more time. A parable is a story with a deep spiritual meaning, and he's, he's, try, he's really trying to, he's preaching to religious people during this part, and, and for those of us who have, who have been following Jesus for a long time, or we call ourselves Christians, it's really, really important that we listen to this part. So Luke chapter 15, starting at verse number 25. And it says, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. So his younger brother had come home, and the, older bro- and the father had thrown a party. So the older brother, he asked one of the servants, what's going on? Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf we are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go into the house. His father came and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing that you told me to. And in all that time, you never even gave me one young goat to feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Almost half of this story is about the older son. And as we looked, and we really looked at this a lot last week, it's the story of two sons, both who are alienated from the father. They, they had both at one point been in the house. They had served the father. They had done, and they had worked for the father. The younger son said, I'm done with this, and took off and said, I want to live my own life. But really, the older son, what we see is he was not... He was not any closer to the father. Even though he stayed, even though he obeyed, his heart wasn't toward his father. He didn't have any love for his father. And we see it come out right here. And Jesus is deliberately wanting us to compare and contrast these two, uh, these two sons. The younger son's lost. You, you, and, and it's easy, it's, it's probably easy to see that. He lost his family, he lost his friends, he lost an enormous amount of money, he lost his career, he almost lost his life. He, when, at the point where he decided to come back, he was, he, was, uh, he was near starvation. And it's easy to say, oh man, did that guy make the wrong decision? We can see, you know, his while living, it brought him to nowhere. Of course he needed to come back. Of course he would come back. Why wouldn't you come back? But it is really hard for us to see that the older son is lost too. We just don't get that. Well, like, he's obeying all the rules. Like, 
Yeah, and we can even, and I know certainly I read this, I, I, I struggled with this understanding for a lot of years. I felt like the older son, the elder son had a point. I just really agreed with him. And it's hard to see how he's lost, how he can be spiritually lost if he's doing everything right. But there's a couple of things we're going to look at here. First is this, and um, you, I'll, I'll repeat these so you can write them down, but it's really important. Jesus is teaching us that lost is lost. And uh, there's, there's no amount of goodness that keeps you from being lost. The second thing that we want to look at is a question for ourselves, are we lost? And you can immediately think, well, I'm a church person, I'm not lost. But the second half of the story is challenging us to think through what being lost is. And then the last thing that we'll look at before we receive communion together is to try to figure out what do we do about this? What can we do about this condition? How can we keep ourselves from being religious people? Those are very important questions. So let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question. I won't ask you to answer because it's kind of a trick question, so I am setting you up. But which is worse, prostitutes or pride? Which is worse? And what we're beginning to see, what Jesus is beginning to teach us, is lost is lost. Um, I remember being a kid and my mom bringing us to go hiking in the White Mountains. So we got there, we were meeting one of her friends who had kids the same age, we met there, and I remember being at the gate before we go hiking on the trail and just staring at the welcome gate that had pictures of people who had been lost. Grown men, family, it was just all these pictures of lost. And I remember being six years old, being the most scared I've ever been in in my whole life. <laughs> I almost drowned one time. I don't remember being afraid of that. And it was just a peaceful floating. <laughs> I was frightened, like, oh, no, what's going to happen? We're going to go. We're never going to come back. What's going to happen to us? Now, which is worse, being lost in dirty clothes or being lost in clean clothes? Which is worse? If you're stuck in the middle of the White Mountains, how important is it how you're dressed? Like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. I'm lost right now. I, you know, I have my mechanic's clothes on. <laughs> or... or when you're lost and you're being hunted by, by some very hungry black bears, um, does it matter? You're like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm wearing all Patagonia. Like, you know, <laughs> excuse me, sir, I think you're lost. You, you, you know, no, 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 look it, I, I have uh, outdoor wear on. I'm okay, I'm okay. <laughs> does it matter what you look like on the exterior? when you're lost. We, we don't think like, oh man, uh, that, that poor person, they're lost in the woods and they, and they forgot to change their clothes. And, and we don't say like someone's lost in the woods and we're like, oh, we don't need to send a rescue party after them. Look it. They're dressed like they know what they're doing. They'll be fine. They'll be fine. What Jesus is, is, is really pressing us here. And what he was doing when he was challenging those religious people who he was telling the story to. 
The religious people were saying, how can Jesus hang out with sinners? How can, he, how can he spend time with people who are living such wild and reckless lives? And what Jesus was saying is, listen, you may follow all the rules, but you are just as lost as they are. You're just as separated from the Father. You're, you're missing out on what he has for you. You're missing out on the relationship he has for you. You're missing out on the love he has for you. You're missing out on the forgiveness he has for you. You're missing out on the parties he has for you. You're missing out on the parties he has for other people. Lost is lost. And the older son, we see here, he, he comes in, he realizes his father is ecstatic with joy. As I'm sure any parent, parent would be, your son is gone for years and finally comes home, and you're going to throw a party. And this older son comes back, and there's a party happening. And when the dad comes out, the dad's like, you know, comes out to his elder son, like, your brother's home. This is what I've been praying for. This is what we've wanted. But the older brother is like ticked off. He sees how happy and joyful his dad is. He sees how the atmosphere and the party that's happening. And he doesn't want any part of it. This is a remarkable and deliberate act of disrespect to his father. And his father now is begging him. Begging him. Please come in and be a part of this. Please come celebrate with me. And when the brother begins, the older brother begins to complain and compare, he said, everything I have is yours. I don't withhold any good thing from you. And the story ends with the dad going back into the party and the older brother, the one who did everything he was ever told, he was the one who was lost. He was the one who never came back. There's a challenge here for us. There's a challenge here for us. The Father in the story represents God himself. God, our heavenly Father, who wants relationship with us, who wants to bless us, who wants us to enjoy the prosperity of his house, who wants us to find joy in the work, who wants us to just find joy hanging out with him. And there are younger brothers who are returning to him, but it seems like there's so many elder brothers, there's so many churches, there's so many religious people who aren't happy about that. Are we those types of people? Are you that type of person? What happens now is the Pharisees, they're listening to this, and they're beginning to recognize what Jesus is doing. They're brilliant men. They know what Jesus is beginning to say about them. And they had the opportunity as well, and Jesus was giving them this invitation. He wasn't telling a story to tick them off or to make fun of them. He's telling the story, pleading to them. My father wants you too. My father wants you. You're just as lost as these sinners, and that's why I've come. And as much as, um, as much as you're surprised that I'm eating with them, you should be surprised that I'm eating with you. Because you're just as lost 
as they are. So we go on in this and we begin it. We got to look what is keeping the older brother out of the party. What is it? Because it's not an invitation. It's not his, his, his younger brother's not excluding him from coming. But the answer is in what he says in verse number 29. And he says, I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed you, but I've been slaving for you. And we see in his heart what he thought about the, the work he was doing for his father. The father never treated him like a slave. The father never wanted him to think he was a slave. But yet, it begins to show his motivation of his work. And that his motivation was self-centered and self-focused, and it had nothing to do with joy of the father and joy of the relationship with the father. Think about uh, my, my, my kids. They're little right now. And there's some days they just love to work with me. The five-year-old, he, we end up uh, on my day off. The older brother's are in school, and so it's just him and I a lot. And he loves to work with me. doesn't matter what to- tool I get him to get or I tell him to sweep things up. He just loves to work with me. And then there's times where none of the brothers like to work with me. And it doesn't matter how much I'm paying them. They're going to fight me and be angry about it. But what God envisions for us as we serve him, as we follow him, it's like those days my five-year-old's working for me. Hey, can I work with you? Will you let me pay? Can I try that? Would you use me to do a miracle? Would you help me to reach just one more? What do you want me to do today? How can I obey you today? Could you, is there someone in this area that I could tell about you? And it's a whole different response than we see the older brother. Though he obeyed every rule, there was no joy in it. The good son is not lost. He's not lost because of bad behavior. In fact, for him, he's lost because of his good behavior. He held his good behavior as, as a credit. He held his good behavior as a demand. And, he, it, he, and it was kind of his, his thought process during this is to his dad. He didn't express this, in it, but you can see it. How dare you give him a portion of my inheritance? How dare you give him the fattened calf when I'm the one who've earned it? How dare you put a coat and a ring on him? You should have talked with me about that because I'm the one who stayed here. I'm the one who slaved for you. I'm the one now who owns the two-thirds of this inheritance that's left. But no, he didn't own it. It was still the father's to do with as the father pleased. But he took ownership of it. And And I said this before, and I might say it again in this message, but we can find ourselves guilty of this when God answers someone else's prayer request that we've been praying, and we get upset at God. If someone else gets a promotion, but we've been asking God for a financial miracle, we don't celebrate with them that God came through with them. We get disgruntled at God. God, I needed that more than they did. When we're praying for God to do a miracle uh, uh, for us, but then the miracle happens to someone else, and we really are feeling angry and envious of that, we're beginning to see ourselves. We're not in the place where we're loving the Father. 
We're in a place where we're doing good deeds, where we're trying to live moralistic lives in order to control him for our own future benefit. That we can come up and say, hey, uh, I did these 10 things, so now I'd like to turn those in and redeem those that I could get this answered prayer request from you. I've tithed for 10 years, and so now I'm coming, and I'd like you to turn this and double my income. Here you go. Uh, I need you to prosper my business and take away uh, and just pay off all my debts for me. And so here you go. God, I should not be unemployed right now. I have given. I have obeyed. God, my spouse shouldn't have left me right now because I brought them to church every week. And so if you aren't going to do things for me after I've done all these things for you, then I'm going to go stand outside right now. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. The older son is lost. It's important for us to see this because sin is not just breaking the rules. Sin is when we place ourselves as Savior and as Lord of our lives. And when we say, I'm going to obey the rules, and that will get me to heaven, I'm going to be a good person, that will get me to heaven, I'm going to obey all the rules, and then God will answer my prayers later, you're placing yourself as Savior, as Lord, and as God, and you have displaced the Father as the authority in your life. So you need to see the lostness in the younger son. It's much harder to see the lostness in the older son. The younger son sitting in the pigsty, it's easy to see where his sin has brought him. But the older brother who is living with such outward perfection, we would even, when we're thinking about inviting people to church, we would think, well, I don't think they really need Jesus. They have everything. And we miss out on who he is and who we are. I want to tell you this story. I know Charles, there's a preacher from, uh, you know, from over a century ago who told this story. I don't know where he got it from, but I want to share it with you. And so there was once a king, and uh, one of the kind of the peasants in the, in the area came to the king and said, um, I, I grow carrots for a living. That's what I do. And this year, I grew the best carrot I've ever grown. It's just perfect. And I want to present this carrot to you as my, you know, as you're my king. I just want to give you the best I've ever had, just to just show you and just, and for you to enjoy. The king took the carrot and was so overwhelmed by the generosity of this peasant that he said, you know what? I want to give you a plot of my land. And gave him a portion of the kingdom. And so this peasant who had this one little tiny area now has been blessed by the king. And it's this huge area. So there's a nobleman sitting in the king's court who saw this entire transaction and said, Wow, if the king's giving out land for a carrot, I wonder what I could get. And so the nobleman had horses. And so the next day he comes before the king and he says, You know, king, I raise horses and breed horses. And I've got this young stallion. It is the finest horse, finest horse that I have ever raised. It's perfect. And I'd like to present this to you because you're my king, and I want to present to you the best horse I've ever raised. And the, co- the, the king, understanding the nobleman's intentions, 
just to receive the horse and said thank you, and that was it. The nobleman was ticked off because he was expecting something in return. And the king, when the nobleman expressed this displeasure to him, the king said, the, um, the peasant gave me a carrot. You gave yourself land. It was his intention through the gift. And we do this subtly, unbeknownst to ourselves even. We're not, we're not serving on a Sunday morning for the Lord. We're doing it for recognition of other people. We're not giving our gifts, um, uh, our, our financial gifts every, every week or every month, our tithes and offerings. We're not giving that out of joy to the Lord and for his work. We're doing that to make ourselves look puffed up. We don't raise our hands on a Sunday morning to, uh, just to express the goodness to God. We're doing it maybe so the other, single, the other single guy or girl in the room will see us and maybe they'll say, yes, well, we ask him on a date next week. <laughs> and our motivations and our intentions are always leaning toward our self. Lost is lost, and the question now to begin to ask ourselves is, are we lost? I think it's important that we say, are we as Restoration Church lost? Have we become a religious institution? Have we become a religious people, a religious country club? Or are we still in, in relationship with our Father? What are the signs? We see this. A couple of signs here in verse number 28. The older brother, he became angry. And elder brothers believe that God deserves, God will give them a comfortable lifestyle if they obey him. And when discomfort comes in our life, we get angry at God. Older brothers, we, or we can recognize the signs of lostness in ourselves if we have a joyless and mechanical obedience. This is where the older brother said, I've been slaving for you. And the father's like, I didn't ask you to be my slave. You're my son. We're a family. We do this together. I didn't ask you to do anything that I wasn't doing. I didn't ask you to, you know, to wave uh, uh, ferns at me and feed me grapes. I never treated you like a slave. Everything I have is yours. But yet we're beginning to do things for God, and there's no joy in it. We're just doing the things we've always done, and there's no joy in it. We... Uh, another sign of lostness for us is that we are cold to younger brother types. The people who have pursued wild living, people are coming into our church that are still in wild living, people are coming to our church after years of wild living, we're cold to them. This is where, uh, 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 this is where you hear stories in the church world in American history where someone came into a church and they told them to go home and put a suit on. And those are true stories that, that, that um, you probably know someone who experienced something like that. In our own church's history, Pastor Bob Oberg, who's a pastor here, there was a, a time during the 70s where there was a huge wave of people coming to Christ. There was all these hippies who were coming to Christ. And when they came to our church, they were coming to our church barefoot, and they got shoved out the door because no shoes, no, no shirt, no church service. 
and, and, they, and they got pushed out of the door because they didn't look like church people. Hey, if you're going to be lost with us, we need you to dress up in name brand clothing. As we wander through the wilderness, it's it's a coldness toward people finding Jesus. You're like, I don't even know if that's real. When's the pastor going to tell them to stop doing those things? And it's judgmental, and it's cold, and it's harsh. We see here in verse number 29 that there's a lack of assurance, a lack of assurance of the Father's love for them. And you're doing all these good things, but you're not really sure if God really loves you. You're an elder brother. And the older brother, he's expressed this, you never threw me a party. He's obvious, anybody's, he's obviously the favorite. Here I've been. You never did any of those miracles for me. You have favorites. And then we see the last thing here is that he had an unforgiving, judgmental spirit. The elder brother does not want the father to forgive the, old, the younger brother. You need to hold him to account for the things he's done. Make him work his way back. Make him repay everything he stole. Make him feel more pain before you allow him to come back. And this is something that we probably struggle with where we refuse to forgive others. This, I think... Elder brother attitude shows up in all kinds of different areas in our life. We want to feel superior to other people. We want to feel more, more, uh, morally superior. We want to feel spiritually superior to other people. And so we find all kinds of ways to put ourselves up on a pedestal. I, uh, a, a pastor from another part of the country, from the Georgia area, I saw him, I saw him uh, uh, post one time, and he said, um, there... Uh, uh, there, there's, don't be the type of person that doesn't return to sh- a grocery cart, a shopping cart, to the corral. And he's elevating himself spiritually. Like, the, you know, don't be one of those people. The younger brothers, they live so wild, they leave their shopping cart anywhere in the parking lot. I'm not like that. I'm about order. I'm about, listen, I always return my shopping cart because I'm afraid one of you guys will leave the church because of it. But I'm... <laughs> Um, I leave my kids alone in the hot car, and I'm bringing that, that shopping cart down to the corral and we do, do what's right. But we, we try to elevate ourselves uh, so, to make ourselves superior to another. So we, people say things like this, I would never use that translation of the Bible. Morally superior, like, what in the world? Why are you going to place yourself looking down to, to other brothers? Because of the translate, because they're in God's word, but you would like it to be much more difficult to understand. <laughs> people will say things looking at other churches, and they say our church would never let people smoke in the parking lot. Why are we mad that there's younger brothers in our services? 
And sometimes elder brother attitudes shows up when they leave a church and they try to make themselves look spiritually advanced on their way out. So they'll say things like, I never got I never, I never wasn't getting anything out of the teaching, so I had to leave. We'll check up with them six months later. Are they going to church? No, they're not. So it was just a way to try to make other people look bad while they tried to raise themselves up. And all these attitudes all reveal our lostness. What do we do about this situation? First, we have to see the uniqueness of the gospel. And what that means, we have to see how unique the good news of Jesus Christ is. Because this is something far different than the religious people of Jesus' day would understand. Far different than even church people of today really understand. That it's not about following all the rules that makes us right before God. It's, it's because of the Father's graciousness and generosity and forgiveness that we are able to be with the Father. The lostness of the older brother was a much more dangerous spiritual condition than the lostness of the older brother. Moralistic religion works on the principle, I obey, therefore God accepts me. But the good news of Jesus works on this principle. I am accepted by God through Jesus, therefore I obey. You can't put those things out of balance. I love my father, so I hang out with him when he's working in the garage and I help him clean up because I love him and I love to spend time with him. I love my father, so I help him mow the lawn. I love my mom, so I load the dishwasher. I love my Father God, so I serve in a volunteer team. I love my Father God, so I give. I love my Father God, so I worship. I love my Father God, so I tell other people about him. I love my Father God, so I take it as advice, and I don't do the things he tells me I shouldn't do. If we flip those things, we become elder brothers. Unless a person and a church knows the difference between, between being religious and the gospel, the church becomes a church of elder brothers. And the one thing about younger brothers is a younger brother, when they come back and they come back to the father's house and they come back and they give their life and they receive forgiveness of Jesus, there's always a temptation and a, and, a, and a chance that they could fall back into those old habits, those old addictions, those old lifestyles. There's always that chance. And so we guard ourselves. We keep accountability. We stay in circles. We're honest about our, tempta our temptations. There's always that risk. But for an elder brother who maybe has left being an elder brother, and maybe you'll leave being an elder brother today and, and repent of what's gone on in your heart. As you come back to the Lord, you can slowly, subtly, quickly become an elder brother again and not realize it just like you didn't realize it the first time. It's so easy to sit around and say, can you believe they did that? Can you believe it? Can you? It's so easy to say, well, I never would have. They let their kids, I never would let my kid. So easy to slip into that. And you may be thinking through regret about how you treated family members, how you were pointing fingers at them, how you were angry at them. 
because they wouldn't change, because they wouldn't believe. And you realize, wait a minute, I was an elder brother. You begin to realize that, wait a minute, the last church I was at, people were coming in and I didn't like it and, I, and we left. And you begin to realize what a mistake that was and how religious and, and angry that was. You begin to ask Jesus to forgive you. You begin to see how maybe you've even do, been doing that here at our own church as you've complained about different things that we've done and you've even begin to try to say that things that we were doing were wrong when it doesn't say anything in the Bible that these things, and you're saying, why, why, why are we, why aren't we keeping everything exterior looking nice? And listen, whether you show up at church in a suit or you show up in, in, in church in, 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 a sweat, in sweatpants or you show up in church with flip-flops or you show up in church with, with, uh, with Gucci, it, however you show up at church, in your exterior, lost is lost. Lost is lost. We see Jesus, he talked to the Pharisees another point, he said, you are whitewashed tombs. On the exterior, everything's painted nice, but on the inside there's a decay and there's a deadliness. As we receive communion this morning, we're praying for life. We're praying for a real relationship with Jesus. We're praying for a joy in our obedience. We're praying that we'll be able to celebrate and enjoy every party. We won't be standing outside with our arms crossed like some big doofus. Jesus, thank you for telling this story. Thank you that we've that we see no matter how far we've run from your father you'll welcome us back thank you for showing us that our religious good works our our begrudging obedience has no reward doesn't matter how we're dressed on the outside lost is lost and I just pray you free us from being religious people to being people who love and are in relationship with our Father. The serving you would never be something that, that we're doing for our, for, to manipulate you. It would never be something that we're doing um, out of anger. It would never be something we're doing without joy. We love you and know you and follow you. And we would go to every party you'd invite us to. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.